If you wanted to put a title on the sermon, you could ask it this way from verse 17. How do you live when God gives you vegetables and you want steak? Isn't that what verse 16 is getting, or verse 17 is getting? I'd better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. How do you live when God gives you vegetables and you want steak? When God gives you little and you want lots? When God gives you difficulties and you want ease? When God gives you sorrows and you want joy? When God doesn't answer your prayers and you want him to answer them in a particular way? How do you live? And... As we look at verse 15, 16, and 17, we could just look at verse uh, 17, but verse 16 is its twin. And verse 15 sets the scene. Not always in Proverbs do you get one verse connected to the other, but sometimes you do, and sometimes you get a little set of ones that that set a scene. Um, And I think that's what's happening in this section. Certainly, verse 15, 16, and 17. Verse 15. All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. That's not simply stating the obvious. It's describing a mindset. I was talking to a friend this week, and he was concerned for his daughter that she sees everything in a negative way, absolutely everything. Um, He said the glass is always half empty. And he said he'd been doing some reading on this and and thinking about this, and particularly the reading that he'd been doing. He said that the danger is that whenever we constantly feed our brains with negativity, we wire our brains for negativity. And we only see negativity. Negativity. And we see negativity even when there's positivity. And this is something that Solomon is saying 3,000 years ago. Verse Verse 15, but also verse 13. A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. Verse 15, all the days of the oppressed are wretched. You can hear the, you know, there's an emphasis there. All the days, you know, every day is just miserable. Every day, uh, there's nothing good happens in there. Every day, there's misery for them to, to point to. There's always something wrong. And then it becomes self-fulfilling. It becomes what just keeps on happening. Um, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast And this is not necessarily a set of different circumstances. This can be, could even be the same person in the same circumstances, or it could be a different person in the same circumstances, or a different person in worse circumstances, but because of their mindset, they have a continual feast. I think we're going to meet one of those people in a month's time. Brian Galt, 
Uh, you see when he comes to speak here, man has no arms. And I think, you know, if anything I've seen of him is to go by, you'll be hard-pressed to find a more cheerful man. He has got, I was going to say thousands of reasons not uh, to be cheerful, but he's got, certainly got two reasons uh, to not be cheerful. You know, how hard must that be? And yet, there's a joy about him. He could very easily choose to be miserable and we would understand it. But do you see what Solomon's saying? And it's possible uh, to have access to a constant flow of joy in the midst of difficult circumstances, a continual feast. Um, so where is that tap so that we can hook up to it? That doesn't mean that life's always giddy and life's always pleasurable. But even amidst the hard times, there's not a loss of hope. There's hope. There's somebody that's able to see the good. How does that happen? How can, how can we live like that so that we can say with Paul, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now that's really insightful what Paul says. He says, I have learned to be content. He's not saying, I am content. He's saying, I've learned it. That means he's had to go over it and go over it and go over it to learn it. And the next two verses here unpack Part of the secret of contentment, it's not the full picture, but part of it. And it's interesting because it boils down to the two great commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. Better a little with the fear of the Lord. That's our Godward relationship. And then it's twin, better a meal of vegetables where there is love. That's sitting together with people. That's our neighbor, our not necessarily an extraordinary, but our fellow human being. And one writer, a man called Charles Bridges, says, Here are the sources of a merry heart, the fear of the Lord and love to man. And I want to just take those two things and uh, deal with them. I will spend more on the first uh, and less, a little less time on the second. We're a bit imbalanced. Uh, first of all, trust your king. Trust your king better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Fear of the Lord is the key thing. And I, as always, we say when we talk about this, it doesn't mean to be afraid. It means to stand in awe of this God. It means to have reverence towards him. And awe and reverence are two very important things here. It's about trusting that great God who has tied himself to you by promise. That's what the Lord in capital letters means. It means the covenant-making God. And so here's a God who has tied himself to you by his promise. What should we do in the sight of this awesome God who has tied himself to us in a promise? Well, we need to live like he keeps his word, like he's able to keep his word. So we trust him. And here's the, the socket into which we plug our hope so that 
contentment can be powered so that it can shine. Better a little with the fear of the Lord. When, when we have little, we've got to put it alongside our, our trust in God. Better a little with the fear of the Lord. Um, if we have a little without the fear of the Lord, then we've got uh, frustration and resentment and jealousy and worry and anger. But if we've got a little with the fear of the Lord, that breeds peace and trust. It breeds a contentment and a cheerfulness. So we need to bring our relationship with the king into everyday life. And we need to do that. That doesn't happen automatically. We need to bring our relationship with the king into all of our lacks the things that we feel we're lacking. David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Those two come together. Um, do we do that or do we say, I wish I had, I wish I was more like, I wish I had his abilities. I wish, I wish, I wish. Um, our problem is that we look at the little and we forget the king. Better a little with the fear of the Lord, with remembering that we have an awesome king who has tied himself to us by a promise. And we'll see in a minute that it's even richer than that. We need to connect our littleness to our fear our trust, our awe, our reverence for our Lord. Let me just say four things. One, he knows. He knows what you need. He knows what you need. Your king knows what you need. He knows how much you need. He knows when you need it. And he knows what you don't need. Uh, and this is a truth that we need to keep preaching to ourselves. Here's Charles Bridges again. If it be only a little, it isn't from lack of his father's care and love, but because his wisdom knows what he really needs, and that, and that all beyond would be a temptation and a snare. If all we've got's a little, it's not because our father doesn't care, or he doesn't love us, but it's because his wisdom knows what we really need. And anything beyond that would be a temptation and a snare. We see that with children. They think they know what they want. Oh, I, I was in a, the changing room at the swimming pool the other day in a changing cubicle and there was uh, a child uh, somewhere in the vicinity who was wanting something and the mother saying no no we're not doing that we're going to go home for our tea or, or something like that but i want oh mommy i really really want i it was ice cream or something you know at five o'clock on a baltically cold 
January night, you know. <laughs> but mummy, I really, 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 really need it. You know. Oh, mummy, can we not go? <laughs> I was, I wanted to shout out, go on, woman, hold your ground. Stand there. Don't give in. Um, we have a father who is king and everything is at his disposal. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. He's all loving. He's all wise. He's all knowing. He loves you more than you love yourself. And he knows what you need and don't need. And here's the, the, the thing that... Here's where the awe comes in and the reverence comes in. When we complain, when we wish we were different, when we wish our circumstances were different, what are we saying to our Father in heaven? We're, we're saying, I know better than you. With my minuscule little mind, I know better than you. I can see the future better than you can. I can think myself in this circumstance uh, better than you do, and or we're saying you don't love me as much as I love me. We wouldn't dare say that to his face, but that's actually what our our attitude can be translated as, and we need to stand in awe of him. Better a little, better a little. He knows what you need. Saying that he knows what he has to give. Now that's not to say that he's looking at his supplies and he's saying, you know, they want something but the stores are empty, the cupboard's bare. That's not uh, what we mean. He knows what he has to give. Sometimes people say God will never give you more than you can handle. That's nonsense. Quite often he gives us more than we can handle to bring us to a point where we say, look... I can't do this. I can do nothing without you. You have to do it all. He brings us to the end of ourselves so that we will look to him for power and help and strength. He'll never take us to a place where he'll not supply what we need. Sometimes we need to find that we don't have the supplies. And it's better a little than realizing I need this great God more than I ever knew. Um, another writer, David Platt, says he puts his people in positions where they are desperate for his power and then he shows his provision in ways that display his greatness. He knows what he has to give. And sometimes we're, we're looking for something. And he has something bigger that he's holding out to say, I want you to take your eyes off that that you're looking at and look at me and see what I'm holding out. So do we look at the smallness or weakness or do we go and stand before the God of all power who can do anything? Anything beyond our asking or our imagining. He knows what he has in store. He knows what he has to give. Um, He knows what he has in store for you. 
This is slightly different. It's the third thing. He knows what he has to give. And he knows what he has in store for you. A child who gloats that they're going to the seaside and gloats over their friends about this wonderful holiday they're going to have at the seaside. Um, And then later in the summer, you go to Disneyland in Florida. You know, all right. It kind of takes the edge off the child's gloating who, who thought they were having a great time going to the seaside. Sometimes we wonder why God just can't give it to us now. It's because he's got something better in store. We say, what harm? What harm? But remember that we're called to live for eternity. Charles Bridges again says, The universe will not fill a worldly heart while a little will suffice for a heavenly heart. The universe will not fill a worldly heart while a a little will suffice for a heavenly heart. Why? Because one day it will be made up to us. This is all the treasure they get. This is all the happiness they get. This is all the joy that they're going to have. He knows what he has in store for you. That's different from what he has to give. What he has to give is, is, is what he can give now. But he knows what he has in storage for you. What he will give. We look at our generous father and keep our eye on him. It'll help us. It's not easy. But it helps us to keep looking at this generous Lord who... It doesn't say the fear of God. It says the fear of the Lord. That's the Lord who came and rescued his people, who tied himself to his people by a promise that he wouldn't leave them and he wouldn't forsake them. He's that sort of a God. He's a saving God. And the fourth thing, as we want to trust our King, is that you know, what he has already given you. You know what he has already given you. How is this verse better on this side of the cross? How is this verse better on this side of the cross? We have another reason to stand in awe. As we stand amidst whatever it is we've got and that we feel is is quite small, quite little, and we look at the cross And we stand in awe of what he has done. Verse 17. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love. Whose love? Well, I suppose perhaps Solomon's initially thinking of the person that cooked the meal, the wife. I'm assuming or maybe he was cooking the meal. Maybe it was the man. Um, Some chance, say some of you. And please no, say others. Um, But better, better vegetables where there is love. Better a little with God's love for us. Where do we see God's love for us? 
We see it at the cross. He's given us the most in giving us his Son. He's given us the Holy Spirit in you as a down payment of your inheritance. You want to know that God is serious about giving you much, much more. He has given you his Son in history and he has given you the Spirit in the present to guarantee to you that in the future there is much more to come. The deposit has been paid to you. How wonderful. One final comment from Charles Bridges. He says, Parents, do you seek uh, the solid happiness of your children? Then lead them to expect little from the world and everything from God. Our problem is too often we expect too much from this world. And we expect God to give it to us. So trust uh, your king. Trust your king. He knows what you need. He knows what he has to give. He knows what he will give. And you know what he has already given you in his son. That's the first part of it. Trust the king. Second part is love your neighbor. Love those God has given to you. Neighbor in the widest sense. Your wife, your family, your church, the person next door, the person you meet. Better a meal of vegetables. And actually the word there is herbs. It's not even a full carrot. Sort of three sprigs of parsley um, set on a plate because that's all that there is to eat. You know, this is sort of starvation rations set on a plate by a loving wife. I'm saying, no, no, pet, here, here's what we've got in the house. Let's eat this together. And um, better that than uh, a big juicy steak eaten in that silence where you can hear the clink of the cutlery in the plate and there's a coldness And there's a clipness to the speech. And don't you know that? Wouldn't you rather have five ordinary meals that are home cooked than five meals sitting in a hotel that are gourmet food sitting there even on your own? Um, you You want home food served with the people you love. And the point here is to direct us away from the things and the luxuries and what we have to the people around us that God has given to us. Proverbs teaches us that relationships outweigh and outrank circumstances. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. The relationships outweigh the circumstances. One family are rich and having the fattened calf, but the relationships are broken down. One family is absolutely dirt poor and they're having a great time. They're having a great time. So often we're consumed with circumstances, but it's the relationships with God and with people that we should be looking at. They're the circumstances God has given us in which to live out 
the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And where am I to do that, God? He says, right there in those circumstances. Oh, change them, please. No, live for me in those circumstances. Ah, but I don't want to. No, I want you to live for me there. I can't do it. You will find that my grace is sufficient and my strength is made perfect in weakness. I'll give you all you need. No temptation or testing has seized you beyond what is common. God is faithful. He will enable you to stand up under it. So often we want God to change our circumstances where God has designed the circumstances to change us. And so we need to work hard on trusting the King and loving the people that God has put into our lives. We need to work hard on those relationships, not thinking that things would be better if circumstances were different. It's the, the classic story of post-World War II or the Depression era in the 1930s where you know, people who had nothing but each other and they didn't give up. They worked hard at their relationship with each other. The world says to us, if you had this or you had that. Remember, this is Solomon who's writing this. He had plenty of fattened calves and plenty of family in turmoil. And he says, here we are in the palace. I'd settled to be like that poor man away down there. He looks out the palace window, maybe sitting from the dining table. He sees down into the streets of Jerusalem and there's some poor stonemason. And Solomon sees his wife, his children, and he sees a pile of greenery on the plate and he looks at his own steak and he looks at his children and they're squabbling and they're plotting and he looks at all of the the, the the struggles that happened in his own family amongst his own siblings, the abuse, the murder. He says, I'd get out of the palace and I'd go and live with that man down there if I could. I'd like to be in his house. Where does our effort go? Does our effort go to seeking to change the circumstances? Or to trust our King and to love the people that He's placed in our lives? Where does our mental energy go? Does our mental energy go to focusing on the little or the vegetables? Or does it go to focusing on the God who's given Himself to us and the people that He's given to us? The world would say, uh, shed the people and go after your goal. God says, your goal is to invest in him and in people. Lydia Brownback writes, to invest in God and to invest in people is to invest in happiness. So here's... Uh, in a sense, here's, here's this... How, how do we keep um, a cheerful heart? Well, we love God and we love our neighbour. 
surprisingly it boils down to something so similar. It really means trusting God and putting time and work into trusting God and putting time and work into loving the people that he has placed us among. Trusting God in the, the biggest way and in the most particular way with the circumstances he's placed us in. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're short-sighted people. And we forget that this world is but a short phase in which we are to live for you, to love you, and to love the people around us. And after that, you have much in store for us. Help us to live like we have a Father in heaven whom we trust. Help us to live like we have a Father in heaven who has all the money in the world at his disposal and all the resources in the world at his disposal. Help us to live like we trust our Father in heaven to provide for us what we need when we need it. Help us to have that balance in our lives between enjoying the things that you give us and enjoying the things that could be ours rightfully and not getting sucked into the the, the grabbing nature of the world around us, always wanting more and always dissatisfied. And, and they have no one to trust in terms of one who provides. That they've got to provide for themselves. And it's not enough. But Lord, we have someone that we can trust. And help us to do that. Help us too to not just trust you in our circumstances, but to live for you amongst the people that you've placed us. And to work at our relationships and our friendships, uh, so that people can see that we trust you and that we love them. Father, thank you for all that you've already given us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the richness that you've provided in him, that you have given us your son, that you've given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment. What a, a down payment! as proof that you will give us more than we could ever imagine. You have given us more than we could ever imagine. And yet we, we dishonor the Holy Spirit by not valuing him as the riches that he is, as the down payment that he is. And so forgive us for that, Father, and help us to see that in all its glory so that we can treasure and trust you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.